Welcome to Heart to Start, celebrating 10 years of a community-based exercise program where we welcome everyone to join us, no matter your experience or your pace. The goal of Heart to Start is to use the power of community and movement to help people become their best, healthiest selves together. I'm Dr. James Beckerman. I'm a cardiologist with the Providence Heart Institute in Portland, Oregon, and I've coached the Heart to Start program since we began in 2012. In each episode, I'll be speaking with past participants who inspire all of us in the Heart to Start community and experts from medicine, sports, and performance who can help us better achieve our goals. Later in each episode, I'll be sharing some activity goals for the upcoming week. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram at Providence Health System. And before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or a treatment. This week's episode is changing up the old saying, gone to the dogs, by creating a more positive spin. We're literally flipping the script and focusing on our four-legged friends today. If you're a pet owner, especially a dog owner, you know that dogs and pets in general are great exercise motivators because it turns out there's kind of a mutual benefit to get the two of you moving. But did you know that not all exercise suits each breed of dog? And there's important tips to keep you and your four-legged best friends safe when exercising together. Our longtime friend, Laura Klink, with the Oregon Humane Society joins us once again to offer her special expertise and passion around animal welfare. This is gonna be a good one. Laura Klink, welcome back to Heart to Start. It's great to see you, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So our listeners may uh, may remember Laura from earlier in the season uh, when we talked about the origins of Heart to Start, where we came from and where we're going. And Laura is a huge part of how we got started and so I was thinking that today we get started by hearing a little about your original involvement with Heart to Start. Sure. It's hard to believe that it's been 10 years, but 10 years ago, we I remember sitting around a table at a cafe trying to think of a creative way to tie in Heart Month, Heart Health Month, and uh, the idea was thrown out like, what if we did like a couch to 5K kind of thing that ended during heart month rather than started during heart month. So people had a, a goal and could celebrate their achievements during heart month. And so it's it, it, it was so great to see that program come together and the inspirational community that it's created. And um, it's just, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years. Yeah. I'll never forget the first workout that we ever did It was during one of our typical insane rainstorms on a a dark, inky black night uh, in the middle of the week uh, down by the track. And people showed up 
and ran and walked with us and they still are now 10 years later. That's that's so amazing. I think that's just I love that this program has continued and grown for the last 10 years and especially over the last two years of as we've dealt with the challenges of the pandemic. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about what you are up to now. So, well, I was uh, very blessed to work with you at Providence Health and Services for uh, five years and during the first five years of Heart to Start. So um, I, in 2018, I left Providence Health and Services to go work at the Oregon Humane Society in a similar similar role. I have been a longtime volunteer in animal welfare, so um, I was very uh, fortunate to have the opportunity to take some of my love for animals and animal welfare and some of the great experiences I got working with you and uh, bring that to my new role as communications manager at the Oregon Humane Society. Can you give us a sense uh, for folks who are a little bit less familiar? Um, there are humane societies in, I'm guessing, every state and many communities uh, can you give us a better sense of, of what, what do you do? What, what's your mission? So I think that, you know, every community across the country has some kind of animal shelter, whether it's a county run animal services shelter or a local humane society. And one of the big misconceptions is that despite our name having the word humane society, we are all independent nonprofit, local nonprofits. So the Oregon Humane Society here in Oregon has been in existence since 1868. Uh, we are one of the oldest animal welfare organizations in the country. And whether you're in Chicago or St. Louis or in Florida, chances are there is a um, humane society or an SPCA or a, like in Denver, the animal welfare organization there is called Denver Dumb Friends. There's Animal Humane in the Midwest. So, you know, every every community around the country has a variety of uh, either government agencies and or nonprofits who help serve the people and pets of the community. Yeah. And, and when you say serve the people and the pets of the community, um, if you were to kind of wrap it up uh, in, you know, a single soundbite, what, what's the mission of your organization? So the Oregon Humane Society, our mission is very broad. It's to create a more humane society. And we do that through helping animals in need, helping find new homes for those animals. We also have a variety of services for pet owners, including low-cost spay-neuter. We are starting an expansion project to uh, provide low-cost veterinary care. We have humane education programs for kids. We have behavior and training classes for the public. But it's all about helping animals that have no one to advocate for them, whether those animals are victims of abuse and neglect or just don't have an adopter. We help get them into a new home. Uh, and then a really important part of what we do and what we're seeing at, at local shelters across the country is really helping to strengthen that animal-human bond and keep those pets in home. So whether that's through low-cost veterinary care, uh, pet food banks, we want people and pets to stay 
stay together if that is you know the best the best uh, for both parties. Um, so at the Oregon Humane Society here in in Oregon, most people know us as a place to adopt a pet, but really there is such a host of community services that we provide. And I think you'll find that at most animal shelters around the country. It's not just about pet adoptions or a place to take a stray animal. That's uh, it's beautiful. I love the, the simplicity of that mission to create a more humane society. And uh, you're approaching that by, uh, by fostering a, a healthier relationship with our animal friends. And I think that's just amazing. So for our listeners who are thinking, wait a second, I'm listening to this exercise podcast and I'm hearing all about animals. Um, obviously, Laura, you have a long interest in running and I've seen you on the trails uh, here in Portland, bumped into you when we were both training for big races and can you share with uh, our listeners a little bit about your your history as as a runner, as an athlete, uh, what you've been up to, what you are up to? So running for me is something that I really um, grew to love in my late 20s. So um, I was not in track and field in high school or anything like that. It was something that I really came to uh, a little later in my uh, adulthood. So I was probably, I think, 28, 29. And there was an interesting blend of um, a charitable uh, benefit to running my first marathon. So I ran my first marathon with team and training, which is the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And this was, oh my goodness, about 23 years ago. And through that experience, it was interesting to see this intersection of being able to do good through finding a love of running. And I have also been a longtime volunteer at the Oregon Humane Society. And Typical to most shelters, we get a lot of very young, very exuberant dogs um, that need homes and need a safe place to maybe learn some good behaviors. So at the Oregon Humane Society, about 20 years ago, I started a running club for volunteers to take some of these really high energy dogs out running. So exercising with my pet or with a shelter pet has just long been a part of what I enjoy about running and how I bring my love of animals kind of into, into that mix. And, you know, running is something I still enjoy. I'm a little older now. Um, and I've discovered, rediscovered it in kind of a, a newer way. After you tick off a lot of those accomplishments, you can get back to that pure joy of running. And even if it's a long walk with my dog, just being out and active. Um, I have two dogs of my own um, and I walk shelter dogs uh, at the shelter a couple days a week in addition to kind of my day job. So for me, those two things have always come together um, in, a, in a really um, just kind of tight way. They're very interwoven for me. I love how you mentioned that one of the things that inspired you to participate in a race was the idea that you could help raise money for an organization that was important to you. And I think for a lot of people who are thinking about ways to get involved with a nonprofit that they care about or with running in general, there is that intersection, the idea that you can do good by being a better you, by taking care of you and getting healthier 
part of that journey can make things better for other people or animals. And I, I think that's just a, a beautiful thing. So you, you mentioned uh, the idea of exercising with your animal. So as you know, I have a dog and a cat and my dog weighs about 12 pounds. Its legs are maybe like three inches long. And so I'm thinking that I should probably not be taking my dog for six mile training runs on the trail. So can you help give, uh, give our listeners a little bit of a framework if they're thinking about taking their furry friend out on the trail or the sidewalk to exercise? What are the important things to be thinking about? So I've met your dog and she is adorable, but yes, I would definitely not recommend taking her out for a six mile trail run. So yeah, the first piece of that is considering the needs of your pet. You know, we may wanna go out and run six miles, but is it appropriate for your pet? So that's really the first thing to think about. And there are all different ways to be active with your pets that don't have to include going out for a six mile trail run. So with your little dog, you know, a, a nice brisk walk around the neighborhood could be appropriate. But again, you have to consider the needs of the animal. What is the age of the animal? What is the weight of the animal? Um, are there any other health conditions? So, you know, a lot of times we want to get out and be really gung-ho and take our dog on that long run or long walk. But, you know, really, I think the first step is really assessing, kind of like we do with ourselves, assessing what is that fitness level of that animal and is it appropriate to take him or her for that, that run or that long walk even, and just kind of like we do in Heart to Start, just starting slow. So whether you have a big dog or a little dog, again, you know, figure out what they're, where they're at and meet them where they are at. And if it's a little dog, you know, maybe again, that brisk walk in the, around the neighborhood is the most appropriate thing. If you have a big active dog, you know, that kind of dog is probably more appropriate for a trail run, but you also have to consider his or her behavior around other people and other dogs. A lot of dogs can get, you know, just really amped up. Um, the But again, it's all about kind of easing into it. So if you have never run with your dog before and you have a big active dog, um, you know, take it slow, take that dog for uh, run a block, walk a block, you know, and just kind of see how they do figure out what equipment works best. Because when you take a big active dog for a run, you also yourself want to stay safe. I, I have to admit, I have tripped over my dog and other dogs several times um, when I've been out on runs. And it's, you know, ripe for injuries when you when you fall and you trip over your dog. So, you know, really making sure that your relationship with your dog is, um, you know, that they have some basic training and some basic commands under under their belt. So they know like maybe heel or, you know, wait if you're at like a stoplight or something. Um, but, you know, really kind of take it slow, ease into it. Think about your own fitness journey and where you started and how you built up to that and figured out the right shoes and the right gear. Um, it's the same thing with your, when you're, when you're being active with your dog is to figure out their behavior, their fitness, um, what, um, you know, what kind of um, terrain is, is best? So um, I'm curious, uh, like, for example, with our little dog, uh, we uh, use a harness when we walk her. Is it important for uh, dog owners to make that distinction between 
a, a, a leash that goes around, you know, goes to a collar around the dog's neck versus a harness from the perspective of safety for the dog if you're out running? Is that something that they need to think about? Yeah, and I think that's where kind of practicing and getting to know where your dog is at. Because the other thing too, to really look for is like, when are they getting tired? You know, so that's where it's important to do like just a couple blocks at a time. Maybe they, they seem like they could go a little bit farther, but like, you know, maybe for today, that's enough. And as far as the different equipment to use when running with your dog, yeah, a harness is really great because it has their, their full body control. There are really awesome front clip harnesses that you can do that help prevent your dog from pulling too much. Um, but, you know, really, you also really need to consider the weather. Um, if it's really warm, don't take your dog out for a run. Maybe that's a day to just kind of stay inside and do some, some puzzles or things like that. Like there are puzzles for dogs where they can like root out to find treats. So dogs can be active in a number of ways, physically and mentally. But, you know, really, be aware of how your dog is doing, you know, make sure their paws are not getting um, uh, too raw or, or roughed up. Again, that's where the terrain question comes into, to, into play, but uh, just making sure that you are like, at first it's really almost about the dog and, and really assessing where they're at. What's the right equipment? How far kind of can they go? How are we building up to it? And there's so many parallels to your own fitness journey that, uh, that I think come into play when you're talking about getting your dog as a, a running partner. I love that. Um, in one of our other episodes, we talk a little bit about nutrition and hydration and what people should be thinking about in terms of uh, taking care of themselves before they exercise, while they exercise, after they exercise, especially if they're training for some kind of event. Um, so, uh, you know, we all live in different climates, different temperatures, et cetera. Um, what should we be considering in terms of hydration for a pet if we're out on the trail or out on the street? Yeah, depending on the... Um uh, depending on the temperature, depending on how far you're going, you know, definitely carrying some water for your dog. I usually always carry some extra water for my dog when we're out on a hike on the trails. Um, you know, if it's, th think about that dogs are wearing a fur coat. So even if it's like 75, 80 degrees, it may be too hot for your dog. And it's really always better to be safe than sorry. And if you have a dog that has kind of a squishy face, those dogs are uh, more likely to overheat. So really um, having to, to, again, just take that health and safety of your, of your pet first and foremost, when you're thinking about exercising with them. That's great advice. I didn't know that about the squishy face. So thank you. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because, you know, boxers, if any of, of the listeners out there have boxers, you know that they are exuberant and very active dogs, but you really do have to keep an eye on their breathing in that hot weather. I don't really see many people out running with like bulldogs, but you know, <laughs> they're not as active, but you know, those boxers uh, definitely, and Boston Terriers are another breed that have that, um, that squishy face, uh, but are also very active. So you just really have That's to make right. sure that they're well conditioned. Um, so speaking of health of dogs, um, one of the reasons why we talk about exercising with animals um, is because we recognize that just having animals seems to confer some benefit to the humans, the owner's health. 
And so I wanted to share with you and our listeners a few uh, statistics um, from some recent research studies uh, pertaining to animal owners, typically dog owners, because I think we both know that even though you and I live in Portland, Oregon, where it's not uncommon to see someone with a cat on a leash or on a trail or something like that, we're probably going to discourage people from going on a on a brisk run with their uh, cat. Definitely uh, don't recommend that. <laughs> okay, okay, good. I'm glad that, that we're we're in agreement. But a, a few things that I thought were really interesting. So. Uh, you know, lots of people out there have high blood pressure. Um, you know, probably a hundred a hundred million Americans have high blood pressure, and it's interesting that pet owners, generally speaking, have lower blood pressures and heart rates than uh, people who don't have pets. And there was a, a particularly interesting study that showed that when pet owners who were considering adopting an animal uh, finally did adopt their animal. They had their blood pressure monitored at about two months and again at about five months after adoption. And compared with people who did not adopt pets, their blood pressures were lower. And I was curious what you thought about that. Why would adopting an animal lower your blood pressure? I love that there is now data to back this up because this is something that instinctually we kind of know, especially those of us who have pets in our lives. Uh, and for me, working at an animal shelter, seeing that joy on an adopter's face when they are getting ready to bring that animal home or getting the updates that we get at the shelter uh, from people who have adopted pets. Um, if you think about stress is a major factor in raising blood pressure and how our pets and just even spending a couple calm minutes, you know, petting a cat can just really lower that stress level. You know, that little purr when that motor starts going or their little paws start going making biscuits, it just really brings this sense of calm to you. And even if you have an active dog who maybe is kind of spazzy, you know, getting out and walking that dog and giving you some time to bond with that animal, think about your day, reflect on your day, just overall, just bringing that, that stress level down. So um, I'm excited to hear that there's finally some data on this. I think, you know, one of the things we've seen over this past year, especially is, you know, this increase in interest in adopting a pet, but we've also been through just an incredibly stressful and traumatic year and a half. And when you think about the different coping mechanisms in our lives to really help reduce that stress, um, pets have played a huge part in that. I mean, I, I, I hear from people all the time about how having a pet in their life has really helped them adjust to working from home, maybe adjusting to like losing their job or just, you know, dealing with the stress of like sending their kids back to school and all those things that are really contributing to increasing our stress these days. Having that pet in the home can just, you know, give you that time to reflect on where you're at, you know, kind of process the, maybe the stress of the day and um, just, just again, just bring that stress level down, that opportunity just to exhale and let some of that stress of the day go. Yeah. That interaction between stress and blood pressure um, and stress and heart disease in general is something that 
we've known about for a long time, but we haven't known for as long that animals can play a huge role in that. Um, if that is interesting to you, then also just from the perspective of the way that animals cause their humans to be more active is very striking. Um, one study found that new dog owners increased their their walking uh, over a 10 month period from one hour a week to five hours a week. Another study showed that compared with non-owners, dog owners were 32% more likely to engage in regular weekly activity. And when we think about uh, the American Heart Association recommendations for weekly physical activity, we talk a lot about uh, trying to get 150 minutes in per week. Um, significantly more dog walkers than non-walkers achieve that recommended level. Um, so I think that there's tons of data to show that uh, not only will your animal afford you less stress, but you got to walk your dog. And, and as a result of that, your dog walks you. That seems like a pretty good deal, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and in addition to the stress reduction, I think, you know, when we get out and we're active with our dogs and we take them for a walk, it also gives us this opportunity to, to kind of give back in a way. And I think we, you and I have talked a lot about how, you know, it, it feels really good to give to others. And when you take your animal for a walk and you're te teaching them new behaviors, you, you know, you're kind of getting out of your own head and you you have this time to focus on your animal and his or her well-being and teaching them some basic commands and, you know, watching them explore the world and what do they find interesting to sniff. And so, you know, in addition to the the physically active part. I think when we also spend that time with our animals and take them out for a walk, we can, you know, get out of our own heads for a little bit minute for a minute and see the joy that they find in things like finding a good smelly spot to sniff, or, um, you know, if it's at a dog park, meeting another dog, or, it, you know, it, it. There are so many benefits to spending that active time with your pet. Absolutely, something we talk about a lot. Um, in the heart to start community is being intentional about the things that you do, whether that means your exercise regimen or just things in your regular life, and also really trying to be present in whatever uh, setting you find yourselves in. Something I think a lot about as a heart doctor is that when people are recovering from a heart disease related challenge, a heart surgery or, or a heart attack or something like that. Um, we spend a lot of time focusing on ourselves, which is appropriate, but um, it sometimes gets a little bit harder to kind of open our eyes and see that beautiful world around us and, and engage with it in the same way that we did before the experience that we had. And, it seems to me that animals are a pretty amazing way to do that because caring for an animal, it's really the most selfless act that a person can do, you know, uh, caring for, for something that's vulnerable and that needs love and needs uh, attention. And it's really interesting to me how doing that and healing it forward, so to speak, kind of reflects back at us. And there's, 
data that shows that people who have pets who do experience a heart event um, are less likely, uh, sorry to sound morbid here, they're, they're less likely to, to die of their heart attack. They're less likely to be uh, re-hospitalized. Uh, one study found that uh, people with a pet in their household uh, were almost half as likely to be re-hospitalized in the year after having a heart attack. And when I see or hear about that kind of data, it really makes me reflect on the idea that when you care for others, you care for yourself in a different way. So I'm curious from your perspective, as somebody who is a, a longtime uh, active person, so self-care is important to you, but caring for animals obviously is very much the same. How do you, how do you relate those two in, in what you give to them and what you get back that you ultimately give to yourself? I think a lot of it comes down to this sense of purpose, right? So when we are recovering from a major heart event, you know, our purpose is to get healthy and to, to you know, change maybe some lifestyle habits and to, um, you know, rest when it's appropriate. But, you know, there also is that piece of like having a sense of purpose outside of yourself and caring for an animal really gives you that sense of purpose that, um, again, gives you an opportunity to step outside of yourself and give back. And that is a lot of what I heard during the pandemic from, from all sorts of people that having that animal gave them a sense of purpose every day to get out of bed, to go for a walk. And the really amazing thing that I found, find about our, our relationship with animals is giving back to them, we also get feedback from them. So if you have a dog that maybe is a little bit shy and you're learning as a pet owner to, to help them through some of that shyness, when you see them kind of break through some of those fears and look back at you like, yeah, man, look what I just did. Like, that was pretty cool. You know, you get just such an amazing um reassurance that what you're doing is the right thing and that purpose that you've put forth with teaching that dog to say overcome their fears or to you know channel that energy in an appropriate way or if they if they get like okay this front clip harness means I can't pull like and you see them kind of get it um it it really brings back that sense of purpose and accomplishment that i think you know when you are recovering from a major illness or heart event um is is so important i mean i i had um neck surgery two years ago and i can't tell you how much having my pets with me gave me a sense of purpose and a sense of comfort. Um, my cats were kind of piled on me as I was recovering from surgery. And then as I had to every day go for, you know, a walk around the block and gradually build back up, you know, having my dogs with me just made such a huge difference. So it does not surprise me at all that that, that really helps in the recovery process. At the end of the day, what we're all looking for for whether it has to do with our, our health, um, our activity, our animals or anything else, we're all looking for purpose. I mean, that's what, that's kind of, 
Uh, not to get too heavy on the podcast, but that's kind of the meaning of life is purpose. And if uh, we can get, if we can achieve that with uh, taking care of uh, animals and having them take care of us, I think that's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And, and, you know, again, that, that sense of purpose and that relationship and feeling fulfilled, you really do get that a from being active, but then also from that relationship with your pets. I think that is a perfect purposeful place for us to end. Laura Klink, thank you so much for not only inspiring Heart to Start in the first place, but keeping us inspired 10 seasons in. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining us today on Heart to Start. We are so excited to continue this conversation to help keep you stay motivated and healthy throughout these 12 weeks. So ready to get to the activity plan? Remember, we welcome all movement styles with an emphasis on providing a training plan for walking or running a 5K. So if you're following our 5K training plan, get ready for some intervals because they'll help to build that safe and sustainable base over the next several weeks and it's intended for walking or running. So when we reference a faster pace, we're asking for a brisk pace, but one where you can carry on a conversation. And the slower pace is literally that. Just slow down a little bit to recover from the faster pace. All right, let's set the plan for the week. Write it down, schedule time in that calendar for your preferred mode of movement. At least three days each week and then take one day to slow it down a little bit. Soak in the scenery with a nice walk outside. If you're following our 5K training plan, here's the details for week five. One day of a 20 minute briskly paced walk. Let's up the speed a little bit this week if you can. And three days of the following intervals. Five minute warm up, followed by a three minute faster pace, and a one minute slower pace. You'll want to repeat that five times. And then a nice cool down and some post-exercise stretching when you're done.